Amen. All right. Praise God. Take your Bibles out this morning and find the Old Testament book of Zechariah. Zechariah. Zechariah is going to, you're going to find it uh, uh, right at the very end of the Old Testament, right before uh, Malachi. I think it's the book right before Malachi. It is. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi is how I remember that. The Old Testament book of Zechariah, and I want to share a couple of verses of Scripture with you today. And uh, I'm entitling this, Are We, uh, are we Living in the End Times? Or are we at the very end? And uh, is this the end? And uh, this is going to be uh, our Lord's Supper meditation as we come to the Lord's table today. Um, you know, uh, back on the 7th of October, uh, a terrorist group, a terrorist Muslim group known as Hamas uh, crossed over the border from, uh, uh, from the uh, Gaza, uh, an area known as the Gaza Strip into Israel. They blew some holes in a fence that had been constructed, and I'm going to tell you about that here in just a minute. And they uh, killed a bunch of people, about 1,200 people, and uh, uh, that's the last count that I've seen, maybe closer to 1,400. They uh, took 200 or so hostages. Many of those uh, are still missing. We're not sure if they're living or dead. So there's a lot of, a lot of things going on uh, right there in Israel. And you know, Israel for many, many years now has been kind of a flashpoint. And I've been asked a number of times, is this the end? Is this a testimony of the fact that we are living in the very end times? And let me just uh, answer that question right off the bat. And the answer is yes, we are living in the end times. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, the Apostle Peter said this very thing in Peter in First Peter. If you go back and read First Peter, he's going to say the end of all things is, is at hand. It's here. Now, God's timing and our timing uh, is a little bit different. So what is the very end for us might be a thousand years or something for the Lord because a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So I don't know exactly when. I'm not in any way going to try to suggest a time. But what I want to do is I want to help us today uh, as we just uh, meditate on the Scripture and we think about who we are in Christ. Uh, what, is, what are the things happening in the Middle East or in Israel in particular today? What do they mean? And, uh, and how should we view them and what should we do? All right. In fact, I want to come to the place of that. What should we do? Uh, I want to go over the history just a little bit. But I want to give you a couple of verses first, and then, and then we're going to come back and meditate on these. Beginning in uh, verse 1 of Zechariah chapter 12, uh, the prophet writes, A pronouncement, the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Now notice, this is the word of the Lord. This is uh, the prophet stands up and says, thus saith the Lord. Okay. A declaration of the Lord who stretched out the heavens, laid the foundation of the earth, and formed the spirit of man within him. And so first of all, we just want to make sure we get our eyes on the Lord. We understand who and what he is. He says, look, and this is the, the Lord speaking now. I will make Jerusalem a cup that causes staggering for the peoples who surround the city. The siege against Jerusalem will also involve Judah. On that day, and when you see those words in uh, the prophetic writings, on that day, now we're looking at the very end. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. 
All who try to lift it will injure themselves severely when all the nations of the earth gather against her. And I want you to underline there in your Bibles, when all the nations of the earth gather against her. I'll come back to that in just a minute. Skip down to verse 10. Then, and again now we're looking at the the then as the forward, looking at the very end. Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem. And they will look at me whom they pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. And weep bitterly for him as one weeps for a firstborn. And one more verse now. I just want to jump down to verse 1 in chapter 13. On that day, again, the very end, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the residents of Jerusalem to wash away sin and impurity. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his word. Now, the prophet Jeremiah uh, was prophesying about 500 years before uh, Christ, about 500 years, it dates 580, 590, or 480, 490, 500 years before Christ is the typical date for Zechariah. Zechariah was a prophet of God who was mainly a preacher. In fact, the first eight chapters in this 12-chapter uh, book or this 14-chapter book, the first eight chapters, are dealing with the rebuilding of the temple because uh, after the uh, Jews were allowed to return from the Babylonian captivity, they began uh, reconstructing the temple there in Jerusalem, but they were stopped, and everything remained stopped for about 16 years. And then Zechariah came along, along with Haggai, one of the other prophets, and they were preachers, basically, that encouraged the people to give and to stand up and to finish the construction of the temple. And that happened. That happened under the preaching and the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah. But then when we get to chapter 9 in uh, Zechariah's prophecy, uh, the Lord begins to speak through him uh, now uh, concerning future times. And, uh, and that's exactly what we just read. And, and I want you to hang on to those things for just a minute. I want to give you uh, kind of a background or an overview of what happened from Zechariah's day and how the Scripture has been and is being fulfilled in our very sight uh, today. First of all, Zechariah prophesied during a time, and I want to put a map up here. This is called the Persian Empire. And you remember, I remember Cyrus the Great was the, really the first uh, great king. He allowed, actually, when he defeated Babylon and became basically the ruler of the, the world, the known world at that time, uh, he allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And in fact, it was a Persian king with, uh, when uh, uh, Hezekiah uh, returned, uh, Artaxerxes, and they came back, they, they rebuilt the wall, and they in, ended up rebuilding the temple. Jerusalem and all of Judea, and it was known as Judea uh, during the Persian Empire, was a Jewish state or enclave inside the Persian Empire. Now, when uh, Cyrus allowed the Jews to go home or to go back to Judea, many of them did, many of them did not. Many of the Jews had been scattered through what is, uh, is modern-day Iraq and Iran, and they were very successful there, and they ended up staying there. In fact, it has only been recently that uh, those Jews were basically run out of that place. In fact, there was a large Jewish uh, community in Baghdad, even in Tehran, up until just about 30 or 40 years ago. Now, um, uh, in 
333 B.C., a fellow by the name of Alexander the Great came on the scene. He was uh, Macedonian or Greek, and uh, he actually ended up defeating the Persians, and now the Persian Empire became the Greek Empire. In fact, I want to, want to put that up. You can see it's almost exactly the same. The, the amount of territory is about the same, although it goes on into... Uh, uh, into modern-day Europe, if you can see where it says Lydia there, that is, um, uh, is modern-day Turkey. And then across the way there is Bulgaria and Greece and Macedonia. And uh, all of that was part of the uh, Greek Empire. And you see that it actually went down uh, into Egypt because Alexander came over to Egypt. He actually came through Jerusalem, most likely, although there's no direct evidence of that. And uh, as he was on his uh, path of conquest. Now, Alexander died in 330 B.C. And his kingdom was divided among his four generals. And the two that are important to us are a guy by the name of Seleucid and a guy by the name of Ptolemy. And I want to put up this next uh, slide. And you see that most of the, what was the Persian Empire was inherited by uh, Seleucid, by the Greek uh, a general named Seleucid, and what was Egypt was by the Greek general named Ptolemy. Now, both of them dis, uh, 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 founded dynasties that basically ruled those areas for about the next 200 years. I want you to notice that there is a dividing line between what you see as the Seleucid kingdom and the Ptolemy kingdom or the Ptolemaic kingdom. And do you see where that dividing line is? Do you recognize that area on the map? It's Israel. <laughs> In fact, that line went almost right directly through Jerusalem. And so as a result, for the next 200 years, these two uh, groups fought against each other over that piece of ground. In fact, for a while, the Seleucids would rule it. For a while, the Ptolemies would, would rule it. And, uh, and these, were, uh, these were pagan rulers. They were Greek. Uh, at one point, when the Seleucids had it, they set up a, uh, a statue to Zeus in the Holy of Holies. It created a revolt. In fact, in about 164 or so, a group of Jewish leaders, their family name was Hasmonean, and uh, they uh, basically revolted against the Greeks and kicked them out. And for about 100 years or so, there was a Jewish state there in Jerusalem. In fact, I've got the next, um, the next slide up here. This is, uh, this is the area known as, uh, as the Hasmonean Empire or whatnot. I want you to see that little strip of land down on the, uh, uh, down on the bottom left there. That is actually what is the modern-day Gaza Strip, by the way. But this whole area, all of what was Judea, Galilee, and across the Jordan, and this is very important as well, was ruled by Jews for about 100 years. They're called the Hasmoneans. You can actually read about this if you have a... Um, if you have a, a Roman Catholic Bible in, the, in those middle books, it's called the Apocrypha, uh, the Maccabees, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th Maccabees. You can read about this history uh, or this time in the history of Israel. Uh, Israel was ruled by Jews. There is a kingdom there for the first time since about Solomon. The whole area was united under Jewish rule. In 63 B.C., a fellow by the name of Julius Caesar came through, and he claimed this area for Rome. In fact, he didn't have, much, uh, he, he didn't have to convince uh, folks too much, but, but this area came under Roman rule. Now, 
uh, a guy by the name of uh, Caesar Augustus had a good friend named Herod, who was Idumean, not Jewish, and and Caesar actually put Herod in control of this area of. Uh, uh, this area of the Roman Empire. In fact, the next slide is a picture of all the land that Rome ruled, and you can see it was the greatest kingdom in the history of the world. All around the Mediterranean Sea, uh, uh, Rome uh, ruled, and that area there that was known as Judea is very, very important. Judea was the name of it. It was the homeland of the Jews. Herod ruled it, and then his uh, his descendants did for a number of years, and then at some point the Roman Senate took it over, and then and then uh, and they uh, uh, they uh, appointed procurators or rulers of the area. Now, you know that uh, Jesus was born during this time. In fact, uh, it was during the the rule of the Roman Empire that Jesus was born. He lived and he died. In the year 68 A.D., there was a revolt in Judea against the Romans, and the Romans sent their army, and they brutally suppressed the revolt. They ended up destroying Jerusalem. They, they destroyed the temple that had been rebuilt by Herod the Great or had been modernized and uh, expanded by Herod the Great. They destroyed it all. And uh, we were just talking the other day, we were looking at some pictures of Masada. Some of you have been to Masada. We went there a couple of years ago. And that was the last stand in 72 A.D. Masada was, uh, fell, and the Jews basically ceased to rule. In fact, many of them were killed. Many of them were slaughtered. There were still a number of Jews that lived there in uh, Judea during that time. Uh, but there were a number of other uh, people that, uh, uh, that moved in as well. Things kind of rocked along for about another 60 years. And in 132 B.C., uh, there was another Jewish revolt. This was led by a Jewish rabbi by the name of Bar Kokhba. It's called the Bar Kokhba Revolt. He, was, he claimed to be Messiah, by the way. And, uh, and he led the Jews to revolt against the Romans. And the Romans again came and they brutally put down the revolt. They killed as many Jews as they could, enslaved uh, the others. Many of the Jews were scattered north. And if you go directly north, you're going to run into Russia, Eastern Europe, Poland, uh, Germany. Many of the Jews during, uh, during this uh, dispersion were pushed northward. And that's the reason there was a large population of Jews. They, became, uh, they, they grew into the millions and millions by the time of the 20th century. Now... In 135, after the Jewish revolt was, uh, was put down, uh, Jews were outlawed from living in Judea. The Romans said, no more. We're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to let any Jews live here. So they were completely run out. And the name of Judea was changed to Syria, pa uh, Palestinia. In fact, this is where the name Palestine comes from. Syria, Palestinia. They didn't want it to be known as Judea anymore. They didn't want it to be known as the homeland of the Jews. They weren't going to let the Jews come back. And they didn't. And uh, so it became Palestinia. And so the people who live there now became known as Palestinians. Basically, a Palestinian is someone who lives in Palestinia or Palestine. By the way, the name Palestinia 
comes probably, the etymology of it is from Philistia or from the Philistines, by the way. And some of the, uh, some of the Palestinians today uh, claim that uh, their ancestors go back to the Philistines or to the Canaanites. There's absolutely no evidence of that. In fact, it's probably uh, not anywhere close to being true, but that's what they claim. But if you live in Palestine, okay, you're known as a, uh, as a Palestinian. Now, in 300 uh, A.D., the Emperor Constantine embraced Christianity and made uh, Christianity the religion of the Roman Empire. He also divided his kingdom. He moved the capital, his capital, from Rome to uh, a place that he renamed Constantinople. It later became known as Byzantium. Today it's known as Istanbul, Turkey. And uh, the kingdom was actually divided east and west at that time. It was closely associated with the Roman Catholic Church to the west and what became the Orthodox Church to the east. And so the government itself, actually, it, it, uh, the, the Roman Empire at that time uh, fancied itself of being a theocracy in which God ruled. It wasn't true at all, of course. But... Orthodox Church and the, uh, and the Roman Catholic Church, the division between East and West. Now, this rocked along for another couple of hundred years, the Roman Empire slowly deteriorating. Uh, a lot of the Germanic tribes from up north began to infiltrate and put pressure on the empire. Uh, in 571, a baby was born in Mecca, which is modern-day Saudi Arabia, and uh, his parents named him Muhammad one of the most significant births in all of history, quite honestly. Muhammad was born in 571, and uh, when he was in his 20s and 30s, he believed that God revealed himself to him and that he was a prophet of God, of Allah. Um, and uh, he wrote down all the revelations that God gave him in a book that came to be known as the Quran. Up until that point, all of the Arab uh, people were divided by tribes, and they were divided by their own religion. What Islam did was, as it began to spread through these Arab tribes, is it united them. And they began to believe that Allah, God, had called them to basically spread this uh, religion, this, this worship of Allah uh, throughout the world. And so they began to march. They were united around their religion, and by the way, religion was something that was dividing the Roman Empire at that time or the European people. And so they moved in, and in about 630, uh, the, the Muslims uh, took what was now uh, Palestinia or Palestine, and uh, Jerusalem came under Muslim occupation. By the way, the Muslims now in control of Palestine uh, allowed the Jews to come back. Uh, in fact, for over 500 years, Jews had not been allowed to live in the Roman Empire in uh, Palestine. And now, under Muslims, they were allowed to come back. In fact, the Muslims didn't have any problem with the Jews at that point. Christians had big problems with the Jews. Christians were the ones who were persecuting the Jews back in those days. And this is one of the reasons that Jews really don't like Christians or Muslims these days, because everywhere they've gone, they've been persecuted by whatever is the predominant religion there. Anyway, the Muslims allowed the Jews to come back. And for the first time in 500 years... Jews were living again in, um, uh, in Israel or in Palestine, right? They weren't the predominant people, but they were living there. Now, 
the Muslims actually at one point announced that they were going to let the Jews rebuild their temple. And yet about 20 years later, in fact, it was in 690, that uh, the Muslim caliphate there in Jerusalem, the, the ruler, the Muslim ruler of Jerusalem decided that he wanted to build a mosque for, his, uh, for Allah. And uh, he wanted to build it in a place where that Jewish temple had once stood. And so in 691, construction was started on what came to be known as the Mosque of Omar. Or uh, uh, these days, it's called the Dome of the Rock. And uh, it was completed in about uh, four or five years. And, uh, and it has stood there ever since. It's been remodeled uh, a couple of different times. Um, uh, but Muslims have a tendency to do this. Wherever they go and wherever they conquer, they build a mosque on whatever the worship site was of the people who had already lived there. So if it was Jews on their synagogue, they would build a mosque. If it was Christians on their church, which would be destroyed, they would build a mosque. If it was anybody else, it was pagans, they would build it on uh, their temple. The Dome of the Rock now has stood now uh, for about 1,400 years on that very uh, sacred spot for Jews and, uh, and Muslims now alike. Um, in what we know of as the Middle Ages, the Roman Catholic uh, uh, Pope uh, decreed that Christians needed to take Jerusalem back from the Muslims. In fact, um, uh, over the next 400 years from the time that, uh, uh, that the Dome of the Rock was built, uh, the Muslims fought against themselves because I told you that they were... Uh, uh, that they were um, uh, different tribes that were that warred against each other. This is also true uh, during this period. In fact, you have Egyptian Muslims, you have Arab Muslims, and you're going to have Turkish Muslims. We're going to find out, and none of them like each other, and they actually fight against each other. But um, hang on, I don't want to go to that slide just like anyway. During the uh, during the Middle Ages, the Roman Catholic Pope uh, said, "Let's go take let's go take Israel back." For Christians, and so this is during this is the period of the Crusades, and so some European armies under the banner of Christ came back in 1099. They conquered Jerusalem, or they took Jerusalem back from the Muslims, and they set up basically a European kingdom, the kingdom of uh, of uh, of God there in. Uh, with Jerusalem at its capital. Now the Muslims fought back, and for the next 200 years or so, uh, the Holy Land went back and forth between Muslims and Christians. In 1290, finally the Muslims prevailed, and they were able to kick uh, the Crusaders out once and for all. Uh, these group of Muslims, by the way, were called Mamluks, and they were Egyptian Muslims. They hated the Arab Muslims, and they had actually defeated the Arab Muslims and taken uh, Israel back for um, uh, for Allah under the banner of, uh, of uh, Egyptian uh, Islam, I guess, if you can call it that. That went on, or the, the Mamluks actually ruled um, uh, Palestine now for about 200 years, or maybe closer to 300. In 15, uh, 1517, uh, the Turkish Muslims came in, and they took over. They kicked out the European Muslims. And uh, this empire is called the Ottoman Empire. And the Ottoman Empire basically stretched. In fact, I thought I had a picture of the Ottoman Empire. Can we go back one? 
Yeah, okay, so this is the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire, you can see, ruled all of North Africa, Saudi Arabia, and on into Europe. In fact, uh, when we went to uh, Bulgaria, uh, you know, we found out there's a lot of Muslims in Bulgaria. Why are there Muslims in Bulgaria? Because the Ottoman Empire ruled that area of, of, uh, of Europe. They ruled in Greece, and they ruled in Macedonia. And so there are many, many Muslims still there to this day. The Ottoman Empire ruled this area, that kingdom, for about 300 years until World War I. Now, in World War I, the Ottoman Empire sided with uh, the Prussians, or they sided with the Axis powers. And so um, uh, England, actually, uh, British, the British and French, trying to keep the Turks from coming into the war, they actually invaded down here in North Africa, and they began to move across, pushing the Ottomans back. They actually, in, uh, uh, in October of uh, 1918, they were able to retake Jerusalem. And so for the first time now, in about uh, 900 years, Jerusalem was back under Christian control. It's very interesting. Um, uh, during this time, there were many, many uh, Jews which were being severely persecuted in the realms up in uh, Russia and, uh, and Prussia. They were being blamed for all this that was taking place with the war. And so many of them, migrated. they had no place to go. And so they began to migrate back to the Holy Land. Now that was being ruled by Great Britain. In fact, in 1920, the United Nations issued a mandate for Britain to rule uh, uh, Palestine, which is what it's called now. It's no longer Judea. It's Palestine. And, uh, and they actually gave them a mandate to find some way to divide the land between Muslims and Jews. Because again, during this time, more and more Jews are migrating or immigrating to, to Judea. They don't have any other place to go. They're going to other uh, countries. Many of them are coming to the United States during this time. And I'm talking about the 20s and the 30s. But there was a great deal of warfare or fighting going on with the British in the middle. They were trying to set things up so that there could be a Jewish state and a Muslim state there in Palestine, but nobody wanted it to happen. Now, the Jews were willing to accept it, but the, but the Arabs or the Muslims were not. And so they continued fighting one another until we get to World War II. Now, in World War II, 1939, Germany invades Poland and sets off uh, World War II, sets uh, again, England and France, and finally the United States comes in against Germany and Italy and, uh, and a number of other of the, of the Axis powers. And this, and this powerful struggle ensued with Britain controlling that area of, uh, of uh, what, was, um, the, um, uh, what, what was Palestine. In fact, do I have something up here called the, uh, the British Mandate? What's the next slide there? Okay, so this was the British Mandate. And if you look at this... Um, <coughs> if you look at this... Um, map very closely, you're going to see us divided, the blue and the, and the pink there. This is actually the mandate from the United Nations to Britain after World War II, okay? And so the blue part is, um, uh, is the part that is actually going to become modern-day Israel. I want you to look at this. The, 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 
I guess that's pink. I don't know what color that is. Is going to be modern-day Jordan. There were actually no states in uh, the Middle East at this time. It was after World War II that Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Syria, Israel, uh, Lebanon, that all these actually became nations. And it was all part of the United Nations trying to, trying to bring order to this chaos. Now, they made these divisions without even thinking about who was living there, and they actually didn't care. But anyway, in 1947, by 1947, Israel is in control of that area that you see right there. Their empire has crumbled. They're bankrupt. They want out. There's no solution between, uh, between uh, Jews and Muslims. They're continually fighting and killing one another with the, with the British in between. They actually come to the place where they say, we need to get out of here. And so in 1948, their mandate is ending. They basically announce, we're going to leave. The United Nations came up with a partition plan of that blue part. And here's the next slide there. Can we... Can I have the next slide, please? Bump. Maybe. Not. So this was the partition plan that the United Nations came up with. The white area down there to the south is Egypt. Jordan is going to become a nation. And that blue part that you saw just a moment ago is going to be divided into two parts. The, uh, the orange part is going to be the Jewish enclave. Notice how, notice how it's all divided up. They did that. Uh, first of all, to weaken the Jewish state, I think, but also because that's where they were living. The yellow part is going to become the Arab state. Now, the United Nations put forth this plan and said, this is the way we want to divide Palestine between Jews and Arabs, and uh, each one of you can have your own state. The Jews said, we'll accept that. Arabs said, we're not accepting it. We don't want these people around here. In fact, I want you to notice that right in the middle, there's a little of the yellow part. There is a, uh, there's a white dot, or there's a black dot with some white around it. That is actually Jerusalem. And the area around Jerusalem was, the plan was that, the United, it would, that uh, Jerusalem would be an international city. It would be uh, ruled or controlled by the United Nations. So it wouldn't be Arab or it wouldn't be Jew. All right. So anyway, in 1948, in May of 1948, uh, um, uh, England announced that they were pulling out. Y'all figure it out. They basically just said, we're leaving. And uh, on May, let me get the date here. On May the 14th of 1948, the last day that England ruled or that British ruled Palestine, uh, David Ben-Gurion, who is the head of the Zionist movement or the Jewish movement, he declared Israel to be an independent state with that being their border, that orange part. He said, this is going to be Israel. This, that was the 14th of May, 1948. On the 15th of May, the next day, England is now gone. Egypt, Jordan, Syria, and Lebanon supported by the other Arab states, attacked the brand-new, one-day-old nation of Israel. This is called the War for, uh, for Israeli Independence. It was fought in the summer of 1948 and into 1949. In uh, February of 1949, there was an armistice signed. And at that point, basically, Israel controlled all of that territory right there now they gave some they signed 
a, uh, they signed a treaty with Egypt in which they allowed Egypt to have what's known as the Gaza Strip. They took that yellow part that's kind of down, sticking down uh, toward the name Egypt, and they controlled all the rest of it. That's 1949. They uh, not only had a Declaration of Independence now, they, put, they set up a constitution, and they became a uh, state. In fact, later on that year, uh, the Israelis announced that Jerusalem was their capital. Now, at that point, Jerusalem was divided between Jew and, uh, and Muslim. In fact, uh, Jordan controlled a big part of what is known as the West Bank now. I'll show you a picture of that in just a minute. And half of Jerusalem. And that, that was the, the situation at the foundation of the nation of Israel in 1948 and in 1949. Now, in 1950, the, uh, the Israeli uh, cabinet issued a decree, a law, that any Jew from anywhere that wanted to come and live in Israel would immediately become a citizen. And so now Jews began to increase their immigration back to Israel. If you're a Jew, you move to Israel, you are an immediate, you, you, are, you, you have immediate citizen rights. If you're non-Jewish, you have no citizen rights in Israel, and that is true to this day, and honestly, that's part of the problem. But if you're a Jew, you go back and you have a uh, you have rights. They were buying up land. They were confiscating land. They were taking land from the people that had lived there, from these folks known as uh, the Palestinians. But now you see a massive influence of Jews coming back. In fact, for the first time, again, in about a thousand years, there were more Jews living in, uh, in Palestine than there were Arabs. In 1956, uh, Egypt decided that they wanted to... Um, uh, that they wanted to uh, nationalized the Suez Canal. And uh, Britain and France, which had dug the canal and actually uh, uh, owned it up until that time, weren't willing to give it back to Egypt. But they didn't have a big army around and they didn't have an air force, so they asked the Israelis to come. The Israelis began to bomb. They actually took over uh, uh, the Sinai Peninsula. They actually took the Suez Canal from the Egyptians because every time the Israelis fight, they are fierce fighters and they're fighting for their survival, for their life. Every, every war they've fought in, they've won. They actually uh, uh, kicked the uh, the Egyptians out of the Suez Canal. France and England came down and said, okay, we'll take over from here. Now you guys go back home. And uh, so they did. They gave the Sinai back to Egypt. And uh, eventually France and England gave the Suez Canal. Uh, to Egypt. Anyway, they were used by the European powers as long as they were useful, and then they were, and then they were kicked back. In 1966, and during this time, there's continued uh, Jewish immigration to Israel. There's continuing conflict between Arab and Jews in Israel. You now have a Jewish state. It is being, the entire area is being controlled by Israel. And, uh, and the Palestinians, the people who had lived there that were non-Jewish, they didn't like it. In 1966, Israel, which had uh, placed martial law on all the Palestinians, basically said, okay, we're going to let you guys, we're going to figure out a way to give you guys citizenship. And so they stopped the martial law. Now the Palestinians were given free, uh, free rule uh, or free reign to go throughout the land. In 1967, the next year, and this is called the 67 War. Egypt, Jordan, Syria, and Lebanon attacked again. 
They attacked Israel. What, was it, what were their stated aims? Destroy the nation of Israel. Right? So they attacked Israel again, which has never been defeated in battle, in six days, basically whipped all four of those. So you had four, uh, uh, four nations coming against them. At this point, uh, France and England refused to support Israel. There was one nation in the world that supported Israel. You know who that was? United States of America. United States of America. In fact, we started an airlift just a couple of days in. We began to bring supplies in, and, uh, and it was our support and help that actually helped the Israelis to prevail. Uh, the Israelis took over the Sinai Peninsula. In fact, this next picture here, you see all that blue down at the bottom? That's the Sinai Peninsula. Israel is now in control of that after the Six-Day War. They took all of what, uh, that, that blue portion that is uh, up in the middle of the dark blue, that is called uh, the West Bank of the Jordan. It was controlled by the country Jordan. It is now under Israeli control after the Six-Day War. And then you look up at the very top up to the... Um, up to the right, there's a place called the Golan Heights up there. That was actually part of Syria. Israel took that from Syria because the Syrians would set up there with uh, artillery and shoot down into Israel. It's a very high place. And so during this war, Israel knew exactly what it wanted, and it went and took it. And it possessed it now. So that is, uh, that's the setting from uh, after the Six-Day War. There was a, an armistice signed with Egypt, and basically everybody stopped fighting. In 1967, in September, so later on of that year, the Arab states met in a place called Khartoum, Sudan. Khartoum was the capital of Sudan. All the Arab states uh, uh, got together, and they... Um, they talked about what they wanted to do and how they wanted to do it. And, and they developed a resolution. And this resolution is famous for three no's. Now, this is the Arab states, all the Arab states speaking. And this is what they say. No peace with Israel. No recognition of Israel. No negotiation of Israel. That's the cartoon resolution of September 1st, 1967. By the way, that document is still in place today. That is the stated aim of the Arab states uh, that surround the nation of Israel. No peace, no recognition, no negotiation. Okay? That's 1967. Fast forward about six years to 1973. Egypt attacks again, this time with Syria. Jordan stays out of it. They're actually going to make peace with Israel. Syria and Egypt attack again. They're trying to take uh, back their territory, and they're trying to destroy the nation of Israel. Egypt uh, uh, is again defeated in battle. Syria is defeated in battle. In fact, I think I've got, give me the next slide, please. Uh, you actually see that kind of orange and that green. That is part that Israel uh, basically took uh, in addition from Egypt, it's across the Nile River actually in, uh, in the nation of, of, uh, of Egypt. They took that away from them. They took more from Syria up there because the Syrians were using that again as a launching point uh, to attack Israel and try to destroy Israel. It's 1973. There's another armistice or basically a ceasefire. They just quit shooting at each other. Again, no other nation except the United States of America. Praise God. Listen to me. No other nation but the United States of America supported Israel in their struggle to survive. Uh, 
By the way, um, uh, this Yom Kippur War, this, uh, uh, the Arabs, the Muslims attacked Israel during their highest holy day. They were hoping to catch them off guard. They did. They had some initial gains. But again, Israel, fighting for its life, defended themselves. Five years later, uh, in 1978, the American president, Jimmy Carter, met with the new president of Egypt, a fellow by the name of Anwar Sadat, and the new uh, president of Israel, a guy by the name of Menachem Begin. And they came together and they negotiated and they signed what came to be known as the Camp David Accords, in which Israel gave the Sinai Peninsula, that blue part, and everything they had taken from, Israel, from Egypt, Israel gave it back to them for peace. Egypt signed a peace treaty with Israel and said, we will never again uh, attack you. Jordan did the same thing shortly after that. Syria refused. Lebanon to the top refused as well. And so technically, Syria and Lebanon are still at war with the nation of Israel to this day. That has never stopped. Now, what Israel also agreed to do was they agreed to allow uh, the Palestinians to eventually determine their own fate in the West Bank and in the Gaza Strip. Now, they agreed to that with Jordan uh, as long as these people stop trying to kill us. Well, of course, that didn't take place. In fact, as you go further uh, along into uh, through the 70s and the 80s, time and time again, there was warfare in June of uh, 1982, the first Lebanon war in which Israel invaded Lebanon because this new uh, Palestinian group called the Palestinian Liberation Army was using Lebanon as a launching point for attacks into um, uh, into Israel. Israel, the, the, the defense forces of Israel moved into Lebanon and basically uh, took out uh, uh, that threat. And uh, you might recall that our country again stepped in to try to bring peace. We stationed uh, uh, our Marines in Beirut and it was there at the Beirut Hilton where uh, we lost I think 282 of uh, our finest uh, under a terrorist attack when a car bomber drove his bomb into the, uh, into the barracks uh, there in uh, Beirut. In 1987, the, uh, the Palestinians uh, rose up in uh, again, in what's known as the first infantata, in which they were killing, uh, they were killing as many Jews as they can, throwing bombs, suicide bombs, all those type of things. In 1991 was the Gulf War. The Palestinians sided with Iraq and Saddam Hussein, and as a result of that, Kuwait kicked all the Palestinians out of Kuwait. There were about two to 300,000 Palestinians living as refugees in Kuwait. They were kicked out. Now they had no place to go. Many of them came to the United States, by the way. Many of them uh, found their way back into uh, the West Bank and into the Gaza Strip. In fact, they were packed into the Gaza Strip because that was a place uh, for the Palestinians. That was in uh, the early 1990s. In 1993, the Palestinian Liberation Army signed an accord with Israel. It's called the Oslo Accords, in which they agreed to stop attacking Israel if Israel would give them a homeland. So now for the first time, the, the Palestinians are saying, okay, we'll take the deal. We'll let you guys live if you'll let us live. Israel agreed to it. Every time there has been uh, 
uh, any type of negotiations. Israel has agreed. They've agreed in good faith. That was in uh, 1993. In 94 is when Israel and Jordan signed uh, their peace pact. In 2002, because of continued uh, Palestinian uh, suicide bombers, car bombers, they would, uh, they would come and hijack buses and kill all of the Jews. I mean, during this time, uh, in fact, it stopped being reported on the news here because it was so often. Israel began to construct a fence around uh, the West Bank and around Gaza. And so now if you're Palestinian, you can stay there. If you've got a work permit, you can come into Israel. If not, then there's going to be separation because we're not going to let you to continue to kill us. That happened in 2002. In 2005, Israel said, okay, we're going to pull out of Gaza and we're going to let the Palestinians have their, have their homeland, have their home state there. There were free elections in 2006 and a group called Hamas. At this time, the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Army, had basically been dissolved. And now this new group called Hamas, promising that they were going to rule justly and democratically, and they were going to take care of people, took over. Since that time, there has not been another election in Gaza, by the way. And since that time, there have been continual attacks from Gaza, rocket fire, and everything else into Israel. And I'll tell you why. Hamas uh, came up with a charter back in 19. 88 after they basically took over the PLO and in their charter uh, they said there are four things that we're looking for number one the complete destruction of Israel and the establishment of an Islamic theocracy in Palestine number two unrestrained jihad which is holy war to this end number three negotiated resolutions of Jewish and Palestinian claims to the land are unacceptable Number four, we want to teach these goals to our children. So basically they're saying, we're not going to rest until we wipe out the Jews. We're going to do this as a holy war in the name of our God, and we're going to teach our children these things. We're going to pass it on to our children. These were the folks that basically were in control uh, back on the 7th of October when uh, uh, when the residents of Gaza or some of the folks from Gaza invaded Israel. Now, Hamas is uniquely Palestinian. They are connected with the, bro uh, the Muslim Brotherhood that comes out of Egypt. They have said, Allah is our goal, the prophet is our model, the Quran is our constitution, jihad is our path, and death for the sake of Allah is the loftiest of all wishes. That's what they're teaching their children, by the way. And uh, uh, one of the articles of their constitution said, the day that enemies usurp part of Muslim land, jihad becomes the individual duty of every Muslim. Now, one other thing real quick, and then we're gonna, I'm going to talk to you about what this means. A fellow by the name of Mahoud al-Zahar, who was basically the second in command of Hamas, he may have been killed recently, as in December of 2022, now I want you to notice this is not even a year ago, this is his quote. This is what he said. He said this in a, in a speech that has been broadcast. So he actually said this. Israel is only the first target. The entire 510 million square kilometers of planet Earth will come under a system, and that system, by the way, is Islam, where there is no injustice, no oppression, no Zionism, no treacherous Christianity, 
and no killings and crimes like those being committed against the Palestinians and against the Arabs in all the Arab countries, in Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and other countries. In other words, we're going to institute or we're going to spread Islam to the ends of the earth, and there's not going to be any peace. We're not going to stop until Islam stretches, until every nation has been conquered in the name of Allah. That is the stated goal of Hamas, and it has not changed. In 2017, President Donald Trump recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Up until this time, uh, uh, the Jews said it was our, their capital. Uh, Tel Aviv was where we had our um, uh, embassy and where all the other countries had their embassy. For the first time in history, a country recognized Jerusalem as the capital. That was the United States, by the way. And then in 2019, we moved our embassy to, um, uh, to Jerusalem. What I, want you to, what I want you to get, what I want you to understand here is that what we're seeing in Israel today is just a continuation of a long, drawn-out war that has been going on since about 600 A.D. Okay, it just continues on. The Muslims have said, we're going to kill all the Jews. And we're going to take over the world until there's just Islam. And every land is conquered in the name of Islam. Now, how should we think about this? What should we do about it? Well, I want to go back to Zechariah uh, chapter 12 and chapter 13. And I want to just mention three things to you. Okay? Three things. This is, what, this is how we should respond. Number one, be praying. Be praying. In Psalm 122, 6, it says, Pray for the well-being of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls, security within your fortresses. Because of my brothers and friends, I will say, May peace be in you. Because the house of the Lord our God, I will pursue your prosperity. Pray for the peace of Israel. By the way, there will be no peace apart from Jesus Christ. Let me just say that again. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And until Jesus rules, there will be no peace. Because there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus, and there's the kingdom of darkness. And the king, as the kingdom of darkness rules in this world, and beloved, make no mistake, Islam is part of the kingdom of darkness. Muslims are part of the kingdom of darkness. Until Jesus rules, there will be no peace. When you pray for Israel and for the peace of Jerusalem, you're praying that Jesus would be exalted and that Jesus would become Lord. Keep that in mind just for a second. How should I respond to all this? Number one, keep praying. Number two, keep watching. Keep watching. Now listen to me, beloved, very, very carefully. In Matthew chapter 24, the Lord Jesus said, and these are the words of Jesus. He said, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You are going to hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed because these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. 
There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these events are the beginning of labor pains. Now, in other words, Jesus said, hey, keep watching. What I'm telling you is going to come to pass. And what I'm telling you is, is there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. And nations are going to rise against nation. There's going to be uh, famine. All, there's going to be earthquakes. All these things are going to take place. These are the beginning of the pains, he said. So watch. What, was, what should a child of God do? Watch. What am I watching for? Well, remember what the prophet Zechariah, what God said to the prophet Zechariah. All the way back in, uh, in verse 3, he said on that day of chapter 12, he said, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who try to lift it will injure themselves severely when all the nations of the earth gather against her. When all the nations of the earth gather against her. When you see all the nations of the earth surrounding Israel, bent on its destruction, then you know we're right at the very end. Right up until this point, all the nations have not been gathered against Israel. There's still one that is standing with Israel. I'll be honest with you, I'm very concerned about our country and, and where we stand. I've been watching the news. If you have lately, you see there's been all kinds of protests and those type of things that somehow are trying to justify genocide, homicide, baby killing, uh, uh, all that stuff. And there is a movement within this nation to dis disassociate our nation from Israel and associate with the Palestinians. Beloved, when that happens, when that happens, when our nation finally turns its back on Israel, and it's going to happen. We're going to be right at the very end. All right? So be watching. Keep your eyes on that. Second thing, uh, watch for revival in Israel. I want you to notice that Zechariah said, in, uh, or God said through the prophet in verse 10, he said, I'm going to pour my spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem, and they will look at me whom they've pierced. Who's he talking about there? Jesus. He says down in verse uh, 1 of, on, on, of 13, on that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the residents of Jerusalem to wash away sin and impurity. I'll tell you what I take that to mean, that the Lord Jesus is going to uh, be exalted in Israel and Jews are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I know a lot of people think, well, these are the people of God. Let me tell you that most of the, of the Jews living in, in, in Israel today are atheists. There's a small group of them who are religious uh, Jews, most Jews are atheists. What's going to happen, I believe, as we, as we get towards the end, is there's going to be a revival take place in Israel. Because I'll tell you again, there's no peace without Jesus. There's no salvation without Jesus. Jesus told Jews, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. When you see a great turning in Israel of Jews, of, of, of these ancient people of God, the sons and daughters of Abraham, when you see them turning to Jesus Christ, the end, we're going to be right at the very end. We're going to be right at the very end. So when, Israel, or so when America turns its back on Israel and when revival begins to take place in Israel, you know we're right there. So be watching, be watching. Third thing I want to tell you, be encouraged. Be encouraged. I hope none of the things that I've told you today frighten you. Why not? Listen to, what, listen to what Jesus said in Luke 21, talking about this very thing. He said, but when these things begin to take place, crawl under a rock, get your gun, scream and holler, hide, whatever. No, that's not what he said. When you see these things begin to take place, stand up, 
Lift up your heads because your redemption is near. In other words, Jesus is coming again. <laughs> How should I respond to all this? Let me keep my eye. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep watching. But I'm so encouraged because God is faithful. And Jesus said, I'm going, but I'm coming again. And let me tell you, when Jesus comes again, he's going to set all things right. There's going to be no more wars. There's not going to be hatred. There's not going to be any more Islam. There's going to be Jesus, and there's going to be the worship of him. Praise God. Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus. That's why I say, be encouraged. One final thing I want you to see in this next verse is Psalm 121, 4. It says, the, the psalmist said, Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. Now, who's the protector of Israel? And I'll tell you, it's not America. <laughs> the protector of Israel is God himself. And he, it says he doesn't slumber or sleep. Now, beloved, that's either true or not. And we can either trust God or not. And what I'm telling you today is we can trust him. Everything you're seeing there today is just... It's just a continuation of what's been going on for a long, long time. But God has a purpose and plan, and he's working it out, and he's going to finish it up one of these days when Jesus comes again. Keep praying. Keep watching. Keep looking up. Father, I want to ask you today as we just consider your word and we consider what you want to do here, Lord, and as we take communion together, I pray as the people of God, Lord, that we might be found faithful in your sight. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.